Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 144. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me, as usual, on Sundays is North Carolinian Jason Collette. Jason, how are you today? Uh, I feel like I need to put on the, be put on the 15-day disabled list. I was playing pickup basketball at the Y and forgot I'm a 41-year-old man who shouldn't be playing basketball with 20-somethings. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm a little worse for wear today. Yeah, uh, but uh, you you at least made some uh, some fantastic feats happen there in that game, didn't you? Yeah, I, I am the Mark Eaton these days. I stand there and just block shots, so I was able to block six. Unfortunately, uh, that's how many shots I missed before I made my first one. It took me a while to find my groove. As one of my best friends said on Facebook, he's like, blocking shots and streaky shooter, you still have it. <laughs> and these, these are guys that I would play the three-on-three hoop-it-up tournament with when we were all the way through high school and college and in our 20s. Uh, but it was it was nice to get involved here at the, at the local Y, but I am really hurting today. I've got a very nice-sized bruise on the right lower part of my rib cage, and uh, sneezing is a lot of fun. It hurts like hell. So <laughs> other than that, not a, not a bad weekend. Rays swept the Twins that opened up the second half. Uh, they're teasing me. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're 23 and 11 in the last 34, and suddenly I think they have a chance at the wild card. Yes. Yes, I think they do. I think they do. I think you're right. And I hope you heal quickly because remember, I mean, hey, sometimes you just have to get used to be uh, the change of scenery. You're playing against new competition. That's really all it is. It's nothing to do with age. Age is nothing but a number. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, we're going to get into some. Th- first of all, the first piece of news we're going to talk about is really there is no category for it, but uh Houston failed to to sign number one overall draft pick Brady Aiken on Friday, uh, by, by the Friday deadline. Now, this is, I think this is the third time in history that's even happened. Um, right. That is, I, I mean, I, I, obviously, I would assume if you're a Houston fan, this is extremely disappointing because this is a franchise moving in what you would consider a pretty good direction with the, some of the sh- talent they brought up this season showing well. Uh, they seem to have pretty quickly built up a. A, a rising farm system. How big of a deal is this that they failed to make this signing? Huge. Uh, it really is. I mean, when you look at last year, last year they took Mark Capel over Chris Bryant. Uh, you know, personally, I grew up an Astros fan. I wanted them to take Chris Bryant last year. I know, you know, that power stroke and that ballpark, I thought it would have been a really nice fit. Uh, and just, I, I'm so uh, shell shocked with how pitchers work out. I, I wasn't comfortable with the move. They made the move, and Appel hasn't worked out. I saw uh, somebody the other day, a, a scout, anonymously slapped the number four starter label on Appel, and that's not ever acceptable for a top overall pick. And with this Aiken thing, you know, the whole story about the the uh, this unique case of a thin UCL on his elbow and everything, it's a perception thing. I mean, it came down to a million and a half dollars. You know, it's not my money. I, I, I'm not big on telling other people how to spend their money. But as a perception issue, I think I would have done this. And it's and they didn't. And you have back-to-back number one picks, one that's not working out and one that you're never going to see. And then yet you didn't get your fifth-round pick because it was tied to that. And, oh, by the way, 
the same agent for the two guys so he knows the whole story. And then he also represents major league clients who he's probably now going to make the Astros overpay for or not just take them that direction unless he has no other no other opportunity. Uh, so, you know, I think it's poor perception thing. Uh, I don't know. I You know, the part of the process is you can't, you can't do a full medical on these pitchers. I know reading uh, through different uh, Twitter and Facebook feeds, Lucas Giolito's dad uh, is somebody that I, I see in, in some Facebook feeds of some friends of mine. And he said in Lucas's case, they, you know, the, the draft prospects have to disclose a full medical history to teams before the draft. So they have to say that. So if they know there's a torn UCL or anything, you, know, you can't hide it and say, draft me. Oops, uh, you know, those kind of things. But the, the teams cannot, they cannot order and say, Nicholas, I need you to come in and have a full exam before the draft. we got to make sure you're okay. They can't do that. Uh, and there's no process in doing that. So I, would I have picked anybody differently in this draft like last year? No. I mean, I, the, the, a lefty, a high school lefty throwing that hard, I would have taken him too. Uh, I didn't, you know, Rodon, the NC State kids, some people were looking at him, but I thought he was overused in college. I would have gone this route as well. It's just unfortunate that it worked out. But if you were willing to pay $5.1 million for a guy, just go ahead and pay the six and a half and get both guys. Uh, to me, I know it's a, the whole thing's a crapshoot to begin with, but from a perception point with everything that, you know, the story in late May that Evan Drellich wrote in the Houston Chronicle talking about the, the, uh, the reputation the Astros are starting to gain for the way they do things. Uh, they do things differently. They are rubbing some people the wrong way. And um, this, this doesn't help to have the, the <clears throat> golden opportunity to take back to back topper overall picks One's not panning out. One's never going to make, never going to see your team. It's, it's just huge waste that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think with with Aiken, it seems like um, the medical issue here with the elbow is it. I mean, I, I, obviously you can make cases on both sides, but from everything I read, um, it it sounds like this is kind of a nitpicky thing, and it seems like it's just kind of a, a case where it's frugality that is kind of unnecessary i mean if you yeah like there's what changed between uh now and the draft and uh, and any of the i mean like this kid is is clearly worth the number one overall pick to you and therefore the slot money and then it seems like uh you're trying to find an angle to kind of save some money that just really it doesn't uh i mean it just it just seems kind of like a a, a kind of a cheap uh cheapskate I mean, move you gave Scott Feldman thirty million dollars over three years. You were willing to go. You were willing to sign Casimir for two years. You didn't get him, and you gave Feldman three for thirty. One and a half million shouldn't be a problem. It really shouldn't be a problem. If you if you if you sign him at five one and he flames out, what's a big deal? If you sign him at six five and he flames out. The other sure. issue here, and this is what I'm going to be very curious. If if Casey Close, who's the agent for both players, the Astros uh, didn't sign. If they take if, if the MLBPA takes this to court and they win a grievance, and the other kid has to sign the con- gets to sign the contract, the Astros have to sign him. This is the one they verbally offered to him. The kid and his family fly to Houston and they say, "Sorry, the offer's off the table." If they have to sign him, that puts the Astros over the cap, and they would have to surrender their top two picks next year. So this there's a huge there's there's a there's a chance a slight chance 
this whole thing could blow up in their face here. And then you have to sign this kid who's now already pissed off at you because all of his friends got their contracts. And here he's sitting with no job right now. He's going to have to go to junior college. It probably wasn't his plans, but that's that's going to happen now. And then if, if the MLBPA takes him to court, and they win it, and the Astros have to sign that kid. Then they lose. The Astros lose the second overall pick. The way they're playing lately, they may have the first overall pick again next year. They yeah. could have the top two picks in the draft. And if the MLB does, uh, the PA does this, and the Astros lose, they could lose both of those picks. It, it's a it's a crazy thing. And the other, the last point I want to make on this is. You know, the MLBPA seems to be sticking their neck out for these two kids. And I may, I you know, jokingly said it on Twitter the other day. I hope these kids enjoy it because the players union is never going to speak for them again until they get to the major leagues. You know, <laughs> there is no, you know, the, if you're on the 40 man roster, you have the protection of the major league players baseball union. You have that. If you're a minor leaguer and on the 40 man roster, you're screwed. That's why you can get high on weed on the 40 man roster and you can't. If you are not on the 40-man roster, you're in a minor league. So the protection, uh, it is. if you look at what's happening in college football right now, if they get what they want out of that, I think you're going to see the next phase in minor league baseball too because those those kids have very, very few protections. And I think the fact that MLBPA was willing to step up and help these kids, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's like you say with as far as specifically Aiken, but with the other kid, I think is that the MOBPA was willing to to take the step to support and uh, make this kind of inquiry for these kids is uh, I think it does say a lot. And uh, I mean, it just it seems like for as far as the Houston Astros organization is concerned, can, as you said, it, it doesn't look good basically from a PR perspective. It's a team that you're you're trying to to change. Uh, well, basically, you've changed perceptions, probably in a, in a manner in which you did not desire to do it. I think it just it's 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 a faulty uh, move on a number of levels. It's really disappointing. It really, I mean, for the public perception issue, you have a team that has a new owner that has questionable personal uh, background. You have a team that has uh, people have accused of tanking to get these top overall picks. Uh, you know, one that has had a TV issue for a, uh, quite some time uh, in the market. There's been a, a lot of black eyes through the whole process. And, you know, you and I both know people that work on this team. Yeah, you know, I know multiple people that work in this team and I am supremely confident in their ability. So I know that the, the team is trying to do the right thing. That mm-hmm. said, the right thing wasn't done here because you've got, you you had a golden opportunity. Rarely do teams get back-to-back top overall picks. It, it just rarely happens. And it, it did in this case. And I think that, that when the Rays did it, they had David Price and they had Tim Beckham as their back-to-back picks. They blew that one because it could have it, it, it should have been David Price and Buster Posey. Instead, that's what it ended up being. Could I mean if you would imagine the way the draft would have worked out, they would have had Longoria the one year, Price and Posey. That Not would have been their one, two. Uh, it should have been. <clears throat> I believe that that's the order, the pecking order. That would have been the one, two, three in order. So the, the Rays blew their chance. And here the Astros had the chance to pick one, one, two straight years. Uh, and they blew it to an exponential level compared to what the Rays did. Now, I have to disagree with you because uh, if they had selected Buster Posey, they never would have come across and, and perhaps found the need to sign Jose Molina. Sorry. That's true. Yeah, you can't, frame, <laughs> you can't beat the king of frame. Yes, absolutely not. Um, and so it's 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 just really disappointing. I mean, Aiken had that kind of ability where he, pr- I mean, high sc- despite being high school age, where you know it could be 
for a high schooler fast track. I mean, he could he could have risen quickly for a high schooler. I think that kind of ability, and so it's disappointing, especially from. I mean, obviously we look at this ultimately from a fantasy perspective, and he and he did seem at least for a kid that age to have that kind of rare talent. So I think it's just it's really disappointing. Um, and uh, I, hopefully, you know, Houston kind of changes a little bit of. I mean. There's no need to be so frugal just because you've taken a more – you don't need to – like just because you cut corners a little bit doesn't mean you need to cut uh, your nose off to spite your yeah. face. I mean, it's, like I said, like it's that. unfortunate. You can't you can't screen these kids before the draft. You have to take their medicals on good faith. Then you do your thing and all of a sudden it's like, okay, here it is. This is what we found. What are we going to do with it? Like I said, if you're throwing 330 at Scott Feldman and you know what he is – you know, doing the math, what, 20% of that shouldn't hold you up from a kid like this with the kid's upside. But it is right. what it is. And now now that the draft step over, we can focus on trade rumors. Yes. Because there's plenty of those right now. Yes, sir. And, and focusing on <clears throat> uh, stuff that's a little more immediately fantasy-specific and then begins with uh, you know, the latest is that – now, it's it, St. Louis has expressed interest, I guess, uh, I mean, uh, specifically in David Price. But for the most part, they said that they are more interested, I believe, in acquiring a bat rather than an arm. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they said that uh, they they want a financial commitment. In other words, because Price enters his last year of arbitration uh, this winter, mm-hmm. um, they want some sort of long-term commitment from him, basically, if they were to trade for him. Now, Seattle also being a player for him, and the, and the rumors have in, uh, have in fact now they say that they are willing. Uh, there's there's some rumor that they're willing to include a Taiwan Walker, and then there's also San Francisco, not to be forgotten, as a potential dark horse here. That seems to be that this takes St. Louis probably out of the picture. I would assume, yes. You would think so. I mean, I don't, I don't foresee the Rays telling St. Louis, sure, you have seventy-two hour window to negotiate a long-term extension with him. I don't see Bo McKinnis, David Price's agent. I don't see him telling the Cardinals, yeah, sure, we're going to forego free agency uh, and, and forego taking my kid out in the open market who has a Rookie of the Year. He has a Cy Young award uh, to his name. Uh, he's pitching fantastic baseball right now since memorial day he's been arguably the best starter in the american league uh so you know he's got a lot of stuff going for him right now so uh, that's not as somebody you say i'm gonna forego a free agent unless the cardinals are willing to overpay for him then sure uh but i don't see that happening and because that's not gonna happen then the cardinals won't put oscar Tavares on the table and if oscar Tavares isn't on the table the rays aren't going to listen then you look at seattle who i think is in a different story because that's jack sarenzik he's been on a hot seat for two Two years. There was rumors that he was going to lose his job this past offseason. He mm-hmm. didn't. And when GMs have their jobs on the line, they tend to do stupid things. And in their case, they are the second team in the wild card race right now. They are only five and a half back after the loss today to the Angels. Uh, the Rays, uh, the the Blue Jays, a couple teams are only like four or five games off the pace for the Mariners. You look at that Mariners roster, the way it's constructed right now. That does not screen playoff team. Then again, neither do the Orioles, and the Orioles are winning the Easter at, at the moment. Uh, but St. Louis, uh, sorry, the, the Mariners could do something like this. There's been rumors about guys like Taiwan Walker, DJ Peterson, one of Brad Miller and uh, Nick Franklin, you know, potentially Jesus Montero out there. I mean, they've got, they have the pieces to do it. It's mm-hmm. just not, you know, which ones do they want to <laughs> assemble to put together? And I, you know, 
if he goes to Seattle, he still affects this year and next year. And that's a really good thing. But he's not staying. I mean, this is a kid he's talked about wanting to be closer to home. David Price is from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You know, he has talked about it. He grew up an Atlanta Braves fan. He, in recent stories, he's talked about Chicago Cubs because his pitching mentor, Derek Johnson, a guy that's from Vanderbilt, helped him there in college, works in that Cubs organization. I, I still have my, if you were to ask me to put money on where David Price is pitching opening day 2016, I'm saying Atlanta or Chicago. Yeah, I think it's I mean, ultimately, as you said, I mean, <clears throat> Seattle has there, there seems to be nothing that should hold Seattle back from making a splash such as the landing of Walker. I mean, they should go out. They should be willing to go out and get whoever they want. And in this case, I mean, for fantasy purposes, obviously, we know whoever ends up with Seattle. Yeah. I mean, in, a, in, in an essence, you kind of like them a bit more now. I mean, for. For the sake of, uh, <clears throat> for the sake of the, the the fact that this move may or may not take place, is that you know, obviously, as you said, the Rays are back in the contention. Do you see? Do you, how likely is it? Do you think it is at all possible? Is what I really should ask that um, the Rays somehow they find themselves still in contention for this postseason spot and they still move price. I think it, I, I assume it's pretty much impossible for them to to, to think that that's that's going to happen because. The money that could come in from a postseason series or a postseason game, at least, I guess. Oh well, if it's only they wouldn't a game, host it. They wouldn't even host it. That's the thing. Right. So yeah. So I guess they really. There's really no. There's really no major incentive in as far as that goes. But um, I mean, do, so do you think that's at all possible? I mean, here's the thing. They thought this team was a contender. They have everybody that's on this team this year under control next year as well. So if they like the team this year, they can keep it together for one more year. I think what the what the decision, what the discussion is within the Tampa Bay organization this week is: Do we play for this year and next year, or do we better this team for the next five, you know three plus years? Right now, I mean, as I was talking to a, a, a scout yet last night, you know, David Price is at his apex as far as value. You have him for two posts. You have him for two pennant stretches. You control his cost. Yes, it's costly, but look at what he brings. You know, the, the way he's pitching right now was he's again arguably the best pitcher in the American League over the last six to seven weeks here. So uh, he and John Lester. So you know that's where things are with him. You have those costs controlled, and that's just with the Rays. I think me, even though it's the team that I follow the closest, that's the one I'm a fan of. They have a four percent chance of making the playoffs right now. They are six games below five hundred. They're seven and a half back within their division. They're six and a half off the wild card pace, or five and a half rather. You know, those odds are very much against them. I would rather all it's, all it's going to take is a two or three game losing streak to put them right back where they were, uh, and, and put everybody in the discussion. But I heard, um, I think it was Buster Aldi. Somebody was talking during a broadcast today and saying, "I talked to a GM and said if we win today, we're buying. If we lose today, we're selling." And as today is July 20th, as we're recording this, these teams have 11 days to figure this out. And unless the Rays go eight and three over the next 11 games, uh, you know, I'd sell. They got to face Adam Wainwright on Tuesday. They have they have Monday off. They got Adam Wainwright and Lance Lynn back to back on on Tuesday and Wednesday. That's the kind of matchup that could turn your you know turn this little hot streak that they're on. They've won five in a row. They're seven of the last ten. You know, you face those two guys, you go back, and then Boston, let's say Boston wins their next two, and all of a sudden Tampa Bay's back in last place in the American League East, and they're nine games off the pace. So, 
yeah, think, think long term. I, I I don't. I'm not crazy about thinking short term. I know the fan as a fan, it's really tough to see your team give up when when they're playing so well. But uh, you know, can a team maintain? Uh, you know, 20, 23 and twenty three and eleven is like six eighty baseball. Nobody plays that over you know a, a season of half a season. It just doesn't get done. Yeah, I think. Well, <clears throat> I mean, ultimately, it's just. It's, but at the same time, I think Tampa Bay is in a, in a position where. I mean, they could say blow us away, uh, or at least convince us that you know you're the team we're going to move price to because not just because of the fact that they may still sort of be in contention, but because they have uh, an entire another year of uh, of control of of price, uh, and they consider themselves potential contenders next year. That I mean, I think that I think they really you know this is this is a golden opportunity to land you know a a, a pretty sizable piece of the future. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I think it's they shouldn't they shouldn't. I mean, they're not going to sell just to sell. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, I mean, getting back to our public perception point, though, if if they were to announce tomorrow that he had been traded, the the Tampa Bay market would go ballistic, absolutely ballistic. They truly believe this team has a strong chance in the playoffs. Forget the playoff odds. You know, I wrote a story for ESPN.com yesterday, and some of the comments were, you know, odds, odds. It doesn't matter. These, these teams playing great. If they were to turn around and flip price tomorrow on the off day and say, you know, we're in St. Louis, we traded in St. Louis for Oscar Tavares and blah, 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 the public perception would be, I mean, you would, if you would want to laugh at attendance, you would watch games in August and September, and it would be like a flea market. There would be nobody there. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think, well, yeah, and, and Ultimately, the Rays seem to be—they're one of the smarter organizations, obviously. So I, I think, um, unless somebody came to them with an offer, such as you know, including you know, t- uh, top prospects such as Tavares and maybe another and a, another significant piece, and said it's on the table now, take it or leave it, and we're going somewhere else. Uh, unless they get some kind of ultimatum like that, Tampa Bay will probably try to sk- skirt the line as for as long as possible. So. Uh, I mean, they, I think they have a luxury, you know, in essence, they hold um, the cards, I guess, to say, you know, they, they certainly don't, they realize that they're gambling a little bit by continuing to wait. But, um, you know, ultimately, I think they, they, they still are in a position of power that they don't need to sacrifice too much. Which uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll tell you this. So if you're in one of those leagues like I am, unfortunately, and he gets traded to the National League, you're screwed. Yes. Honestly, Cleveland and Seattle are the only two American League opportunities that I see. Yeah. Cleveland is they're within spitting distance of the Tigers of five and a half. Detroit's not playing well. They have a lot of chinks in their armor, particularly in the back end of their bullpen. Cleveland's playing better baseball. But in Cleveland or Seattle, those are the only two opportunities I see in the American League for him. Meanwhile, Atlanta, St. Louis, San Francisco, Los Angeles in the, in the National League. So I see six teams Four in the NL, two in the AL. And, hey, I own Price in that same stupid AL league, so I'm probably going to lose him too. But uh, I personally, I'd rather see him stay and, and let the team try again. Um, and, you know, if I'm a flags fly forever for fantasy baseball, I need to say the same thing for real baseball. I can't have two different approaches. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with that. I think, like you said, I mean, I, I'm i still of the I, – I think – my my feeling is based on the way things have gone that I, I think price is a ray on August first, but and that yeah for those who, again for those who lose the player, um, in an in an AL only league if he's traded to the NL I mean I think I think my personal opinion is that the odds are in your favor but 
it's it's I mean a lot can change in the course of eleven days. So yeah, if you're in a tough luck, honestly, if you're in a tough luck league, and somebody sends you an offer for price that's eighty five cents on the dollar, I think hard, I take it's hard it. to turn it down. Yeah, I th- I honestly I honestly think I take it. If somebody's willing to give you eighty five cents on the dollar, I'd say uh, yeah. And because again with that upcoming schedule, then at St Louis. Three versus Boston. I know Milwaukee's cold, but when a team gets that cold, they suddenly turn it on. They got Milwaukee coming up. Then, they, then the Rays have to take Oakland. That, I mean, that's a close. That's a close July. St. Louis, Boston, Milwaukee. That's what they have left here. By so, the same token, I think if you're in an um, if you're in a tough luck league like you described, I think if you're in a say you're in like a fourth or fifth place and you're looking to make a move that's a, in an AL only league and you're saying, I need to take. I need to take a risk that's going to give me a, a legitimate shot to win, and you offer, say, seventy-five to eighty-five cents on the dollar, like you're saying, to the price owner who maybe is ahead of you or perhaps even in the lead. Uh, you know, there's you can make the legitimate argument to say, look, I'm going to give up something that is kind of significant to me, but and take the risk that he's still in the AL once the deadline passes, and that could be the difference. That's a huge risk, but I think you can make that argument to say, like, I could, you know, I could really steal myself. Uh, some a few a couple of standings gain points there uh, if it if it works out in my favor. Mm-hmm. Quite a ballsy move if you do something like that. But uh, and like you said, it's it's a scary prospect to think if you're in one of those tough luck leagues and he ends up in one of those with one of those NL teams, a team that is not um, really in any kind of position to be uh, <clears throat> uh, pulling these kind of punches like Tampa Bay has is, is the Phillies. And first of all, with Marlon Byrd, Casey, Cincinnati, they have, uh, they have joined Seattle for inches. Casey, I think is a team that really doesn't know what it wants to do. Um, and I assume Cincinnati is interested because they have a problem in left field a bit. Uh, and yeah, this is, I mean, I think is, do, do any of these sites, uh, kind of disturb I mean, Seattle, see, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Seattle turns out to be a player again for Marlon Burr. There was a little bit of, you know, the, he's, the, on, he's on their no trade list. He, he, they're on his no trade list. Ah, is that the is that the issue? Well, I mean, clearly, obviously, there's a possibility that he could waive that. I assume. Yeah, but... yeah. Sure. I mean, they want right-handed power. Right. Uh, you know, from a fantasy perspective of the three teams, I want Marlon Burr in Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't want him in Kansas City because that, that's going to hurt his power. I don't want him in Seattle. That's going to hurt his power. I want right. him to go to Cincinnati. Uh, when he this is not an if he's dealt. This is a when he's dealt. Philadelphia has no reason to hold on to this guy. He needs to be traded. Let's hope it goes to Cincinnati. Uh, so if you're in a tough luck NL league, you get to keep your guy, first of all. And, and this is really going to help the situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Chase Utley, on the other hand, seems pretty unlikely to move. And uh, Toronto and San Francisco, the latest rumor I saw was that they were they were going to make a big push to land Utley. But it basically was unexpect, uh, not expected because you know, Utley has... He has the uh, right to, to veto any trade, I believe, and yes, uh, <clears throat> it, it's at this point he wants to stay in Philadelphia. So that's he's kind of made that clear, I suppose. I mean, there's always a chance that the, organ, the organization gets an offer it can't refuse, uh, except for to, to it needs to convince Utley and say, "Look, this is this what's best for the organization. Please do it." I mean, the situation that kind of situation has happened similar has happened before. Utley moving. Um, is there, what, do you see any kind of fantasy fallout from? I mean, it's hard. Like if he, if you know, say on the off chance he joins a, Toronto, especially like that. I mean, my goodness, that would seem to be fantastic. <laughs> That'd be a nice fit, but going to AstroTurf that would worry me. Yes, that is true, uh, especially with the uh, prior to this season, the the issues with the degenerative knees. 
that uh, I mean, he's 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 reached a point in his career where I mean he's he's found kind of a, a really good maintenance program. Uh, he has to put in a lot of work to be to maintain the health of those knees, though. I think that's the problem. And so they, I mean, it makes me. I don't know if that means that it's better for his long term viability, or it means that he's grinding more and it's just going to kind of the wear him down. The opportunity to play DH would be nice, but yeah. I, I don't want him on. I don't want anybody on AstroTurf. Yeah, that that is certainly a good point. Um, and finally, uh, as far as the Phillies are concerned, uh, AJ Burnett, obviously another hot commodity, um, and that seemed pretty much this was an inevitability once the Phillies signed him to begin with. But now, yep. uh, Baltimore has apparently had preliminary discussions about him, uh, and uh, Pittsburgh has also been scouting him. And obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that we would, you know, as a as if you're a Burnett owner, first of all, it's been a crappy season for you, um, and. You wouldn't mind seeing him go back to Pittsburgh because you think they maybe they can help him rediscover the magic. It's, you know, he's dealing with that hernia. That's uh, that certainly can't be the best situation. But uh, he says it doesn't affect him. I think that continues to be the case. Uh, but Baltimore is, is this is necessarily a bad spot to end up in? That's in Baltimore. Um, uh, I mean, he throws. He throw, He's he's typically a ground ball pitcher. He throws a sinker pretty effectively. It's a hard sinker. Uh, is this is this a terrible spot for him to, for him to end up in? No, I think Baltimore would be a nice place for him. And they've tried to get him a few times in the past. Burnett's a Maryland native. They've tried to land him a couple of times. Uh, it just hasn't worked. But I think either going back to Pittsburgh or Baltimore, two teams that put an emphasis on good infield defense yeah. would be a good thing for him. I, I know Philadelphia has done a little more shifts this year, and, and Jimmy Rollins is playing better. But overall, that Baltimore infield would be an ideal fit for him uh, for, for uh, that to do that. And maybe, I mean, the issue with him is – I, I disagree. I think the hernia has caused. We know he's altered his delivery a little bit. Yeah. He's he is, you know, he's got 58 walks already in 21 starts. He had 67 through 30 starts last year. I mean, that's really what's doing him in right now. Strikeout wise, he's not. I mean, he's dropped from 9.8 strikeouts per nine to 7.4. So that's a noticeable drop. But I, again, I really do think that the uh, that the, the uh, yeah, it's hard not to think. Are, and it's having hard. to hit and having to hit is probably part of the issue too. I mean, I don't want all I want him doing is pitching. I don't want him hitting. Just pitch. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, you you have to you have to be you might be a little more optimistic about a turnaround, a combination of change of scenery, and not for the change of scenery's sake, but for the sake of somebody else gets a hold of him and gets to figure out uh, what's. I mean, command and control clearly an issue right now for Burnett, but not necessarily. I mean, we've seen him for the previous two seasons. Uh, put up some excellent numbers in those categories and, and uh, that unless health is a real concern here and you'd have to think that one of these two contending teams who if they deal for him they're also going to do their due diligence as far as the health is concerned to make sure that that's not something that's affecting one of the the, the those aspects of his pitching um, that this this is not the case where it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me where it's a uh, if, if if he's dealt I think that there's reason, in other words, that the reason to be optimistic for Burnett that there's a little bit of a turnaround. So, but having said that, I mean, if a deal doesn't get done, that might be an indication that uh, uh, that I mean things are not necessarily good in the health department. Uh, maybe we get the news on that. Who knows? But uh, I think uh, the, you know, I, I I think actually I was you know, thinking about it, and I've dropped actually Burnett in a 12-team mixed league uh, a, a month ago, and that was after I picked him up because someone else dropped him, and I think that. Uh, if you're in a 12-team mixed league, maybe maybe in deeper. But if, if if Burnett stays with the Phillies, I mean, I don't see much reason to hold on to him in a, in a shallow or even some, somewhat deeper league. I agree. Um, and, and 
San Diego, we'll get to them in a moment about the move that they did make, but uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City, they are scouting uh, Ian Kennedy, and um, obviously we know uh, so far as, I mean, sounded like they were not a match for the, uh, Kennedy was not a match as far as a uh, move to the Angels. Pittsburgh and KC, I mean, two two interesting spots, both uh, both spacious ballparks, and that would be beneficial for Kennedy, who has pitched in Petco Park and pitched well and as a fly ball pitcher. So it doesn't, I mean, move to one of those two spots would be, you know, pretty much kind of a, a apple for apple. Um, it, Kennedy, do you see him uh, finishing? I mean, he's and he's pitched really well for the past three to four weeks. Do you see him finishing the season strong, continuing this run? Uh, I do. Kennedy was a guy I liked a lot coming into the season. He's made some uh, some changes to the way he's pitched. Uh, he's worked on some mechanic mechanical things, and that's really uh, helped him. And we look at his strikeout rate; it's up five percentage points over last year, from twenty point five to twenty five point six. He's cut his walk rate down from nine point two to six point nine. Simply pitching in Petco has helped keep his home run rate. It's his lowest in the last six seasons. He's pitching some great baseball, and I think uh, this is a chance the Padres for them to capitalize on it, uh, for for them to uh, to get some a nice return on it because you know, it's just so unfortunate when you look at the way things are going for him. A 121 WHIP, he's got a 9.5 uh, strikeout per nine. I mentioned the 26.5 uh, strikeout rate. Walks are down, but his ERA is still 362, and he's only allowed 10 home runs. They must be the 10 untimeliest home runs in history because you look at everything else there and like. This should be a guy that's got more than seven wins. Uh, yeah, I know the Padres don't score anything, but the 362 ERA just doesn't fit a guy with the rest of these skills. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been an interesting mix. I mean, the the uh, <clears throat> I think judging from the way Kenny's pitched, I mean, we've we've seen at times. I mean, he's uh, I, 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 mean, I said just a few weeks ago on the show that. Uh, I mean, he had kind of pitched. He pitched his way to an ERA that was just above four, and the and the the peripheral numbers kind of said, "Hey, you know, kind of uh, this is a, basically a four ERA pitcher anyway." And I kind of thought that this was it. This is you know, we we this is this is the best we're going to see from Kennedy. And then he goes on this run. Not to say that you know, it's I jinxed it or anything like that. Just simply, I mean, there's clearly there's clearly something that he's he's kind of figured out. I think at this point, uh, and that. Uh, there's, I mean, sometimes changes that these these guys institute, even in spring training, uh, they take a little while to kick in, and uh, it seems that it, it's those things are constantly a work in progress. Uh, I don't think there's any huge change in Kennedy's process lately, but um, I do think that uh, that it, it, I think he's starting to see the fruits of perhaps some of the the labor that he put in prior to that. And I mean, I I wasn't a huge Kennedy fan, in other words, coming in, but uh, I think that. Even especially if there's a change of scenery for him because he moves to a team that's a little bit better off, he does. I would have to think that uh, I mean he could finish the season pretty strong and set himself up well as as well and kind of help uh, to set up San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, many teams interested in Dustin Ackley, and uh, ordinarily we've kind of gotten to the point where you know there's doesn't seem to be. I mean this this may be a factor, for instance, in the Marlon Bird trade news, uh, or, you know, trade rumors, uh, and, and for instance, something related to uh, Ben Zobris with Tampa Bay. I mean, this, this, this could go in a number of directions, but there are apparently a lot of teams interested in Ackley and it's kind of hard to blame him. But do you think how much, how much promise do you still see in Ackley in the sense of from a fantasy standpoint, especially, and for those maybe in these deep dynasty leagues? I mean, I think to me, Ackley is still a player who's kind of salvageable. He's shown some, some sparks at times, do you think? I mean, Seattle seems to me as an organization that has really had some trouble developing hitters. I wouldn't mind to see a change of scenery for him to go somewhere else, get an opportunity. Maybe he needs to go back. Uh, maybe even I, 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 I hate to say that uh, you know 
uh, he, maybe he it would be nice to see him get a shot at second base again. But uh, I, you know that would certainly be good for his fantasy value. But, but regardless, I mean, it's a hitter who, I mean, he's a little patient. Uh, he seemed to have kind of this this high batting average or at least above average batting average ceiling. And uh, I can't help but think that Seattle has at least done something to contribute to squandering that. Are you at least a little interested if he changes places? Yeah, getting back to our point earlier about uh, screwing up high draft picks, I mean, this is the second <laughs> overall pick of the draft. And probably second overall pick of the draft. And, and definitely true, but at the same time, don't you look at don't you look at Ackley and you say, you know what, in hindsight, like, maybe only in hindsight, I mean, I w- I'm not a, a draft evaluator, but, you know, looking at him, say, like, looking at the type of ceiling that even Ackley has, say he wasn't a failure in terms of uh, up until this point in his career as a prospect, like, even then, like, was he deserving to be second second overall pick? And so maybe their talent, their ability to evaluate talent, you had to question that as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I mean, for me, I, the bad arm was always something that was there. I mean, he, his his throwing arm was always. Uh, I remember seeing it graded anywhere from like a twenty to a thirty-five. Wow. I don't know how a second overall pick can own that when in that same draft, Zach Wheeler went sixth, Mike Miner went seventh in that draft and some guy named Mike Trout went 25th in that draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't like that. I mean, Ackley's OPS over the last few years, 622, 660. I'm sorry, 622, 660, 628. His strikeout rate is stable. His walk rate is stable. Every, he is what he is. He has no power. Uh, he has no throwing arm. He doesn't run much. I mean, he had 13 steals in 2012 and is five for 10 over the last two seasons. I don't know what there is here. If I don't, he's not mixed league material. Uh, I don't even know if he's ten team AL only material. For me, if, if in Talent Wars, he's rosterable at twelve team AL. After that, I don't even think he's rosterable. He just doesn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I agree, and it's, I think from perspective, I mean, like, I I think that there's still so- I can't help but think that there's still something here, this ability to uh, to hit for a decent batting average. But I guess that this, I mean. To you know, to say even if it's empty batting average, but a guy who can hit 280 and hit eight to ten home runs and steal ten to twelve bases, I feel like that that's still not outside the realm of possible. And that has value in a, in a 15 team mixed league, of course. Um, that's I mean that's Michael Brantley territory before Michael Brantley did this this year. But um, do you, I mean do you, do you still think that that for instance is a possibility? I, I, I can't help but think that he does, but I think it. I mean maybe I think it would have to. It would take going to the right organization or take you know maybe like moving to a Texas, which is clearly not in the picture, but just that's you know kind of at the top of my head, like or a team that's that's had some success in developing hitters. I just I just see this as a role player, and I think yeah. he's another reminder of guys that tear it up in spring training and suck in the regular season. Yeah. He was one of those guys that was doing well in spring training. Oh, is Dustin Eckley turned the corner? Answer: <laughs> No. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yes. If we, if we had a nickel for every time we talked about a player like that, <laughs> and uh, last favorite trade rumor of the day. Yankees may be interested in Edwin Jackson, and uh, for for those of you who have been able to keep your food down until this point, it's time to it's time to vomit. <laughs> what, I mean, here's the thing: it's it's not it's not a trade rumor season unless Edwin Jackson's name's involved in it. That is true. Edwin, here's the thing: and How unless the Yankees and the and unless the Yankees are uh, pursuing every possible avenue to hang on to their playoff hoops. All right, true. Now let's let's <laughs> uh, a couple of things here. Edwin Jackson signed his current deal last year. So he is in year two of a four-year deal. 
He is still owed $22 million after this season. So if you trade for him, you're roughly paying $26 million for him. How old do you think Edwin Jackson is? Um, 41 at this point. That's what he does seem like. Uh, Edwin Jackson will turn 31 on September 9th. How many teams do you think Edwin Jackson has played for in his career? Also 41. (laughs) Close. If he gets traded, it will be his ninth team. In 12 years, he is the human hat rack. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I mean, this is just clearly, this is, this seems to be a totally aimless move. I mean, it's, it's not even worth talking about anymore, but it's just, it's, it seems like an aimless, what, what, what is even the point of pursuing an Edwin Jackson that's under contract for two more years after this one is clearly not, I mean, realistically, the Yankees, are you, do you really think that this is going to, to save your chances at a playoff spot, a move to no. Edwin Jackson. And I mean, and you get Ivan Nova back sometime uh, by the second half and next season, CC Sabathia comes in healthy. And obviously yeah, none of these guys are guarantees, but I mean, what is even the point of trading for Jackson? I just, it, it just is, I, it's just, I, I can't help. And I can't really, I really don't believe that Brian Cashman, for instance, is, uh, is actually willing to do this move. This seems like one of those blind, uh, ownership directed moves before it would be something that Cashman would do because he's always lobbied to hang on to prospects and things like that, or just to look toward the future and accept when things are not going their way in the present. But the Yankees never seem to really willing to do that. I don't know. It just, I, I mean, for me, there's, there's two things, there's two things in play here. And the first one, now I'm drawing the blank uh, on it, but my, my larger point here with Edwin Jackson is this is a great example of why you don't rush prospects. People will remember his first start of his career is when he beat Edwin, when he beat Randy Johnson on his birthday in 2003, when Randy Johnson was you know still throwing BBs, Edwin Jackson comes up at 19 years old. So the Dodgers end up starting his option cycle then. So by the time 2006 rolls around, holy crap, we have to trade this guy because we can't keep him up on the we, – we can't farm him and we can't waive him. So they trade him to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, you know, 2006 was terrible. 2007 was terrible. Edwin Jackson pitched the whole year and was terrible. 2008, he pitches for them as, as the fifth starter in the, or the fourth or fifth starter in the back of that rotation was not good. Then they trade him – then they trade him to uh, – Detroit for Matt Joyce and all of a sudden he's 25 years old he has been in the majors for parts of six seasons at 25 and has his career year with the Tigers and then he gets expensive and they have to trade him and he goes to Arizona then he gets too expensive for Arizona and they trade him to the White Sox and he gets too expensive for them and gets shipped to the Cardinals then he's too expensive for them and goes to the Nationals where he hits free agency and the Cubs give him four years and 52 million dollars it's really a crazy how this guy's career has played out I mean, he's a converted outfielder is where he started uh, in the minor leagues and they ended up making him a pitcher. And he's been everywhere. And that's why when I look at this, he's not he's not doing anything for you. You're, the Cubs, the, if the Yankees want him, they can have him for a song. If they're willing to pay that contract, they don't have to. And that's why that's why when Jackson has value, he doesn't miss. He, I mean, he's a healthy guy. He's made, I'm looking at his numbers, he's made at least, 30 starts for like something like seven since every year since 2007, 32, 32, 33, 32, 32, 31, 31, and 20 so far this year. So he makes starts for you. He so is, a, you're he is Yankees, an expensive. Payroll, <laughs> yeah. He's expensive. He's an expensive pitching machine, but you can go, you know, if you want to give up some low a prospect, trade him. You can have him. 
as long as you're willing to pay for it. Or if you want to get a little, you want the Cubs to pay some of that, you have to give up a little more. But Edwin, the thing about Edwin Jackson, he can be had. And when you get him, he will pitch every fifth day. Yeah, I guess That's the, the best thing I can say for Edwin Jackson. <laughs> yes, let's move uh, to uh, where, again, this, I mean, this is obviously, this has to be the fancy news, at least as far as faces changing places uh, of the weekend. And that's uh, Houston Street to the Angels. Um, the byproduct of this was that CJ Cron was optioned. Um, I can't help but think uh, that this is a very short-term move. It was probably the easiest move to make um, in in the sense that, uh, I mean, this could be just another case. Uh, it's another team that uh, – <clears throat> Uh, that well anyway I, I mean this this is this is purely I think a short term move because this lineup was quite dynamic as long as Kron was available to them as well um, and it, I mean it could be a case of even uh, that they maybe they wait till after the trade deadline or something like that but I have to think that you know, fantasy owners I don't think should be terribly discouraged um, unless they're in you know a ten team or or shallow or mixed league and you know, there's no need to uh, keeping a guy like that around but. Um, I, I would think it's you know no reason not to hang on to him, but to uh, you, you're welcome to disagree. But I think that that's you know uh, street to the angels. However, this is obviously Joaquin Benoit becomes the guy uh, in San Diego. Now, first, I guess uh, first question: pitting these two against each other, which one do you like to be uh, to have more fantasy value rest of season? I've always loved Benoit, and I think in the now that he's got the opportunity again, I think he'll ex- ex- exceed street. What I can't figure out about Street this year, I mean, you know, when I touched on this in the offseason, we thought it was an error. Dude had a 99.5 left on base rate last year. Mm-hmm. He has 100% so far this year. He has not allowed one of his runners to score. So when you know, the runs he has given up this year have come on home runs. I mean, his ERA is 106. His FIP is, is uh, 284. So the runs he has allowed has mainly been on home runs. So he, when he gets guys on base, he strands them, and he's done it for two straight years now. It's insane what he's been able to do, but he's done that for two straight years. We, we honestly thought it was an error the first time we looked at it. We're like, that can't be right. I mean, all of a sudden, yeah, his last few years, 69, 76, 79, now 99 and a half and 100 as a Padre. And with the Angels, anything's going to be a step up from Ernesto Frieri. It sucks. I know he's been traded, but it sucks if you're a Joe Smith owner because you now you know, now this job's going to be streets. But if you were the rest of the way, Street or Benoit, I'll take Benoit. Okay, I think that's fair. And I well, here's this kind of leads into my second question because um, the Padres are clear, uh, no 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 question sellers. Um, does Benoit become? I mean. Benoit is still a good possibility. Is do you think that there's you know, does this reduce the possibility that Benoit is dealt? I mean, I think it does a little because he. I mean, he has a. I think it's a two year commitment as well. But uh, by the same token, I mean the Padres. They've been they've been very active on this trade market, at least in terms of um, being willing to make these negotiations. And uh, I mean, Benoit is a clear commodity. I don't think there'd be any too many teams that'd be unwilling to you know to to have a Benoit locked down for another season. I mean, he's a, he's a commodity going into next season. What if he's moved? Uh, I mean, I think I, I, the preface basically, I I think, I think street is a safer bet to be a better fantasy commodity the rest of the season. And also because the halos, they've made it a habit for the last decade or or so, at least to, to be among the leaders and save opportunities for their closures and Padres, Kind of hit or miss in that department. So I think that I think the safer bet to be the better fantasy value rest well to deliver the best you know kind of fantasy value rest of the season is Street. 
Benoit, on the other hand, I mean, I agree. The the skills, the the pitching, and all that stuff. There, he's he's just a little bit better. But I, I think that the gamble. If, if Benoit, if Benoit goes anywhere, I think he goes back to Detroit. I mean, that back into the bullpen is absolutely killing the Tigers. Uh, they should be running away with that central Joe Nathan. That, that Joe Nathan thing can't continue. This has got to stop. Uh, if he goes anywhere, he can go back there. You got to pay next year. Benoit's guaranteed eight million. There's a million and a half buyout to his 2016. So you're trading for a guy, you roughly pay him twelve million dollars for the next season and a quarter, or season and a third. That's not for Detroit. That's not terrible money uh, because while they while they may have enough roster to win the AL Central, they could easily get bounced out of the playoffs if this is the bullpen they go in with. They have to address yes. that bullpen. Yeah, and I agree. So I mean, I mean, so do you think it's it's still a legit possibility that Benoit's also dealt? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my thought too. I think that that because of that, I think, I mean, for instance, this is a dilemma for more. So I guess the kind of the lead in is for, uh, for fantasy owners too, because uh, Benoit, I was, I'm going to say shocked to find that Benoit was available in tout uh, in my tout league. In it's a 15 team mixed league, and I mean shocked. Like, and not uh, not to say that I you know I, I think it's worth picking up every uh, setup man and uh, to speculate and things like that. Like, but um, there's always a few of these guys that are owned. And I think, I think he was actually dropped recently. And I'm like, why, if you've waited this long, would you drop him now? So like, I'm wondering, what do I bid? Because on the one hand, I could have a one heck of a closer for the rest of the season. But on the other hand, I could blow 30 bucks on a guy who's um, just a setup man in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. think it's possible. This is, I mean, this is a legit, like, if you hedge your bets, you're probably not going to win. Am I wrong? So Yeah, like, I, I think you just make the play. I mean, I, I mean I'm, me, I'm only bringing this up. It, I'm, I'm necessarily, safe. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm only, and I mean, I have, I have Joe Smith. So that's kind of, or, uh, I mean, I have, I, I have some legitimate, um, you know, I mean, but, you know, I, I can't help but think that I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not the only fantasy owner who's in this boat. So it's like, what do you bid on a Benoit now? Because I think that it's, 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 uh, it's legitimately possible that he's dealt as well. And then you're like, well, I'm hung. I, I basically hung myself to dry, uh, hung myself out to dry because I blew a bunch of money on a guy who's right back in that position. Because like you said, I mean, Detroit seems like a great possibility for a landing spot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just, you know, I have, I have, you know, my other relievers are uh, Smith and Zach Putnam. And it's just, it, you know, Putnam's probably going to lose his job in a few weeks, his share of a job which with a crappy White Sox team. So, I mean, it's, I certainly have a lot to weigh here. I mean, I think in the end, because uh, Benoit easily presents the best opportunity, I'm probably going to go for it. But do other fantasy owners have that same kind of comfort level or, do, you know, do, you know, do you have the same kind of advice for them? I think is it, is it, I mean, it's a, it's it's one heck of a gamble, and I don't. To me, there's not really any clear way to go. Uh, I think it's... I, I just think you have to be aggressive at this point because we're still talking about what 60 games left in the season, uh, and make your make your play. I think he either stays in San Diego or he gets traded to Detroit. I really haven't seen too many of the rumors with him. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's probably a fair point. Uh, and and you just kind of you live with how if any you know you live with how it how it shakes out in the other way and say, well, it just wasn't my my week, <laughs> uh, and and because. And, you know, as you said, I mean, Detroit seems to be the player for him if there's a player for him at all. And Brad Ausmus, I mean, he he said, you know, came out uh, just a couple of days ago. Not he's not near the point, not ne- not near the point of replacing his closer. Uh, and that's granted. This is with the bullpen 
uh, that Street has at, at you know at his disposal at this moment. But uh, you know, he said, "I'll you know basically told the media, I'll let you know when that." I mean, Nathan has worked on some mechanical things, things like that, uh, and you know, it seemed to be they started to develop some optimism for Nathan. Then he comes out, um, I believe it on, is on Saturday, and just gives up like a, a basis clearing double blows a game for the, for the Tigers yet again. And uh, I think he, he locked one up for Detroit today, but they put him in with a, it was a four run lead. It was not a safe situation. And it's like, yeah. you, I mean, you, you don't need to be giving a 39 or 40 year old closer uh, confidence at this point and, and hoping that works out. I mean, this is, this is a team, like you said, that if they really want to contend and, and be a factor in the postseason, that the bullpen needs shoring up, um, is it kind of? Uh, I mean, my question: If you're okay, so now if you're you're making bids on, say, a Benoit, are you willing to drop a Nathan to go after a Benoit or something like that? Are you? Do you like? Are, how? In what league are you willing to start talking about dropping a Joe Nathan because he's just killing you? Twelve team mixed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, it's it's most because I you know I I I put out there in plenty. of you know, plenty of, there's been plenty of opportunities. We've had commenters occasionally say, look, a guy who gets saved, no matter what he has value, but there comes a point where that's not really the case. I mean, but some people think, you know, and I guess it depends, it all depends on your team situation, but um, there comes a point when a guy who's getting saves uh, is doing more harm than good. And I think Nathan is, I mean, he's been that guy for all season, but I think if you're still hanging on to this kind of possible, this hope, like in a shallow league, why continue to bother? I mean, no matter what they seem to propose as a possible fix for Nathan, it hasn't come close to working and they clearly need to make some changes in order to be contender in the postseason. So, I mean, if you want to wait till after the trade deadline to be sure one way or another, I guess, but I think, I, I just think I, if I'm, if I, if I have no other guy to drop, I mean, I'd be willing to drop Nathan and go after a guy that I think has a better sh- get a chance of getting saves. Right. And uh, as far as you know, a guy who may have, may or may not have a better chance of getting saves. I mean, uh, Grant Balfour, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> no. He says he believes he's been tipping his pitches. Of course, um, if that is the case, and he thinks he's fixed it, and then that didn't necessarily work out well today either. I believe so. Nope. <laughs> do we think that there's any legitimacy to his belief here? And no. What I'm makes thinking. me what makes it hard for me to think that is that nobody else on the team, or you know, like Joe Madden didn't say it and back him up. Not to say that he needed him to back him up or anything like that, but I think that this is just kind of him grasping at straws at this point. He came in and against the bottom third of the Twins lineup and could not get it done today. That's the only reason Madden said after the game, I put him in there because it was the bottom third of the lineup and he could not get it done. That's kind of a uh, condemning thing to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he used he used McGee in the eighth because it was the heart of the Twins lineup. McGee had to throw a lot of pitches, but he got through it. And then he gets the two-run lead against the bottom third of the Twins lineup you should be able to handle that. He could not command his stuff. He said he was tipping his pitches. To me, I don't care. He can't throw strikes. That's what it comes down to in the end, and he cannot command his fastball. He has to try to get ahead and to get you to chase the slider, but if these guys read red dot out of the hand, they're not swinging. They're just they're taking fastballs, and if it takes a strike, whatever, we'll take it. But they're not swinging at these things, and that's and that's really what's hurting them. I mean, he cannot throw strikes. He does not deserve save opportunities. I would give them to McGee, Boxberger, and and Peralta in a pecking order. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's his point. And, and Peralta, I think, what, it was an illness or something. He was Correct. not available for a day or Correct. two. So, yeah, I mean, Balfour, 
if you're, I mean, I would assume only in a very, in very deep leagues, are you hanging on to any hope there? But uh, just at this point, I mean, I think don't, don't, I wouldn't, put, I wouldn't have too much hope for the, the, the tipping pitches theory working out is, is basically the reason we would talk about that. And, and in Toronto, Aaron loop, uh, saves one. This was a full, you know, a one inning appearance on Saturday. Uh, he locked up a save and then on Sunday came in to relieve Casey Jansen. Now Jansen was only unavailable yesterday because he was ill. But uh, and today, uh, said he felt a lot better, and you know, so no rumors here about somebody taking over. But Loop seems to be. A, I mean, clearly we know at this point that Loops is is a guy who's a factor for saves, at least when Jansen is unavailable. Um, is this? Uh, I mean, he's AL only property. Is there any reason to own him anywhere else? Is, is there is there even a, a fantasy story here? I thought it was a, at least interesting and worth mentioning. But we know he's a quality reliever at this point. So I'll say this: I have a bit on him in uh, in my fifteen team uh, NFBC league. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I mean, because of the type of, I mean, saves the fact that he can contribute to your bottom line elsewhere. If he, you know, in the rare up, you know, if he doesn't get that rare opportunity, I mean, it's guys like that. It's kind of the same situation perhaps as it been while. I mean, I think that the, those guys that the fringy type relievers, I mean, they're, they're worth owning. And so, uh, I mean, there's certainly the, the case to be made for Luke to be in that class. I think at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, moving to so just some other some quick news. And, and some of these are just worth the note. I mean, there's not there's not really a whole lot to say about, for instance, uh, Dice K Matsuzaka out of the rotation now that Jonathan Nice has been activated. John Jonathan, whatever he wants to go by, has been activated from the disabled list, returning from shoulder injury, uh, is back <clears throat> uh, in the in the rotation as of Monday. Uh, Jacob Degrom, he sticks. That's good news. He should. Yes, he's. Really, uh, Eno has really turned me on to him. I think this is a guy who's really kind of could be a surprising kind of fantasy own for the rest of this season. Really good stuff. I'm really impressed by like uh, and his. Uh, I mean, I like the the pitch type peripheral stuff that I see on him uh, as a fledgling um, amateur I- evaluator of that information. He's he's a really intriguing pitcher. Uh, Danny Salazar to start Tuesday for Cleveland. Beyond that is uncertain because Zach McAllister he won a game uh, in a doubleheader for Cleveland against. Uh, no less than Detroit uh, on Saturday. And so, you know, probably some of this is going to have to do with how does Salazar pitch in his start versus how McAllister did, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I, I still hold out hope that Salazar is a legitimate fancy contributor, but this could also, I mean, you see here a possibility, I guess Cleveland could be, you know, they, they may ramp up their effort or uh, start to realize that, Hey, we need to make a, a trade for a pitcher. And, the, and, and based on these short term evaluations, maybe this is the kind of thing that really makes, makes them make decisions like this one way or another. Salazar has been really good in his last four or five starts though on the farm. Um, and they've talked about how the, you know, the scouting and things like that, they, they, they are pretty well close to convinced that he's starting to look like he did last season. Um, are you, is this a total wait and see thing? I mean, he, he was picked up in my tout mix league uh, prior to the break or well coming out of the break in, in the, in the fab period. And I had a bid in on him. I ended up winning Edinson Volquez, who for some reason was out there. I had actually owned him and dropped him, and uh, was glad to. Yeah, he's picked it up quite well, a bit lately. Yes, and I think I think this, I guess uh, tangentially as far as Volquez is concerned. I mean, I think that this is kind of Volquez is uh, taking a while to. Um, he didn't have the kind of indoctrination period that Francisco Liriano had with the Pirates last season. They uh, because they've they've had to overhaul both of those pitchers' mechanics. Um, 
and that's taken some extensive work. Liriano, if you recall, he broke his leg and so missed the first month or so of the season with the uh, Pirates last season. But that gave them an opportunity to give him some extensive work as far as working out things mechanically before he went on a rehab assignment and then got the iron. And so when he joined Pittsburgh, he was primed. Whereas Volquez has had to work out something. These are changes that he made in spring training, but had to continue to, to make those changes uh, even in the first month or two of the season. So I think that this, I think actually what we're seeing, I think Volquez could have a really strong second half as well. Um, and I'm making some assumptions, but I think that he's kind of gotten to the point where he's very comfortable with the mechanical changes they've gotten him to make as well. But anyway, as far as Salazar, is, is how, how hopeful can you be? I, I love Salazar. I was a, an apologist coming in, but do you think, I, I mean, I could be, I could be just uh, kidding myself. Do you, do you think that there's a really good possibility here that he is, is turning things around? See, I was a hater. I, I did not like the way he pitched. I mean, obviously, the velocity is awesome, but to me, this is a kid, when he fell behind, he, he just lived off his fastball and was afraid to throw his other pitches. So I'm not going to change my opinion of him until I see him pitch in the major leagues again because what I saw this year before he was disabled, uh, before he was sent down to the minors, was the exact same was the exact same problems I saw with him towards the end of last season and what came out in the, uh, in the wild card play-in game against uh, the Rays. This is a kid, he has to pitch from ahead. He's not confident enough in his secondary pitches to pitch from behind. And, uh, and let's see if, let's see if he's changed it. There's really no way to do that in the minors unless you're watching those games, but I want to see how he pitches when he's down in the count. And if he falls behind 2-0, 2-1, 3-1, what is he throwing? Is he afraid to throw his change up to get back ahead in the count? Is he still living on the fastball? And is he still living up with that fastball? I mean, it was pretty – you knew where it was going to be. And I, I've mentioned this a few times on this. You go back and look at that home run that Delman Young hit off Danny Salazar in that play-in game. He knew exactly where that fastball was going to be. And this is Delman Young, a guy that does not hit right-handed pitching well. <laughs> he knew exactly where that fastball was going to be when he was ahead in the count and pulled it and hit the snot out of it. So yeah. that's the kind of thing that uh, – just kind of throws the kid off, and I just I didn't like what I saw of him this year. I kept telling, I, I don't want any part of Danny Salazar this year. I don't like, and a lot of, I know a lot of people spent some good money on that kid, uh, and had nothing to show for it this year. I'm just I'm I'm very interested to see how he pitches on Tuesday night. Uh, I won't be there. I won't be able to see it because I will be in person in Milwaukee seeing my boy Homer Bailey hopefully pitch against Milwaukee uh, on Tuesday night. So uh, I, I, you <laughs> could tell the excitement in my voice about that process. But I will be in Milwaukee on Tuesday night to see Homer Bailey pitch. Yeah, I think uh, you know, points, and that's actually, I believe, is that his return from the disabled? Or no, no, I'm sorry. He he left his start, last start before the All-Star break with a knee problem. Turns out to be no big deal, which is a relief for a fantasy owner. So, and that should be, yes. I think he's it should be confident he's going to make a start on Tuesday, he says. Yes. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about his health at this point. So that's, and that's really encouraging because, the, you know, the signs have started to improve as far. I mean, Bailey is another pitcher who could have a much better second half. Uh, kind of getting at, away from the home run problem. Salazar is a pitcher who needs to get away from the home run. And the thing is, and I'm slowly moving off. I still, I think I, there's still a lot to like, but there's, there needs to be like, I, I became more nervous as I started to look at my bid for him in tout wars because um, they talk about all the things they talked about as far as his uh, getting back to where he was last season didn't really include anything that he's doing differently from where he was last season. And I agree. Like, I like the tools, the awesome fastball, and he's got a really good changeup. But, like, there, there was there's no discussion of anything that he's done differently or added to that. And I think that's kind of be necessary for him to be a success long term because I looked at the pitch type peripherals in him and I'm just like, a couple of really, you know, he's 
excellent fastball changeup guy, but like he doesn't have like a really dependable breaking ball or any type, like you said, like any type of third pitch or anything where if he falls behind, I mean, he doesn't have that that equalizer when he's behind or when people are, uh, have kind of picked up on one the fastball or the change or whatever it is. And, and I think that, um, yes, he can he can I think he can go short stretches or make great starts where because he's got just that that great stuff. But if he doesn't have that reliable third pitch, if he doesn't improve the slider or go to a, uh, you know, maybe try to throw a curveball or something like that, like some, really change uh, something about his repertoire. I think that he could be in, in a lot of trouble in the long term. And I, I really liked it. I mean, at this point, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's not just because of the results, but it's, it's just a realizing, you know, hindsight, evaluating the process. I mean, I think I was, I was much too optimistic about him and I, you know, I'm starting to under, understand that now. Sometimes, I mean, you have to admit when you're wrong and I, I, I'll hold out hope for him, maybe rest of the season, but I'm not as optimistic as I was even maybe a few weeks ago. By the way, uh, this is not even on topic. Was it you and I that had the long rant about Tyler Flowers earlier this season? Uh, I think that was a good possibility, yes. Okay, Tyler Flowers, the first month of the season at 354, 398, 415. I believe you and I were both on the same page screaming, oh, my God, sell. This is never (laughs) going to happen. Dude is hitting 172, 239, 278 cents. The end of April. Yes, um, I mean for anybody who doubted or uh, that Tyler Flowers wasn't in fact a sub two hundred hitter, still a guy who who could not uh, be above the Mendoza line for an entire season. Uh, I think you I had said your it, was the, it was the insane luck. The guy had the worst three fifty four batting average I've ever seen. It is. It was incredible. And well, the thing I think he kept it up some t- for at least a week or two into May. I mean, it was like, wow, is is there something he's doing differently? No. I mean, he's still striking out thirty five percent of the time and walking three percent of it or whatever it is. And... Well, he had a five sixty batting average of balls in play. Five sixty. <laughs> yes, it takes a, it takes a special kind of regression um, for uh, Tyler Flowers to not to disappoint. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, <clears throat> Just real quick, this is going to be interesting. Uh, I mean, if you're still holding on to Shelby Miller in 12-team mixed leagues, you're nope. yeah, yuck. Yeah, but uh, I mean, he's who knows how likely this is to happen. But he's opened he opened the the this uh, after the break in the bullpen. Uh, it's not definite that he returns to the rotation. I mean, I think the only way maybe he just needs a break. Whatever it is, I mean, St. Louis is a little bit. Maybe this is the reason that the David Price thing popped up, and that and that they had to revisit. Hey, maybe we'll trade for a pitcher instead. But uh, I mean, it's a pitch. It's a team that we've always we you talk about with a lot of pitching depth. But it's really, I mean, the rotation is it leaves a little bit to be desired um, beyond the first couple of guys. Uh, like you talked about with Wainwright and um, <clears throat> with Wainwright and Lynn and uh, Joe Kelly had a fantastic start in his second starts uh, back from the disabled list. That's gotta be encouraging. And he's, I think he's a guy who can hold down one of those uh, final, sp- uh, final spots. And Carlos Martinez, he's got the stuff. I mean, uh, as long as St. Louis is willing to ride him out, but what, the, what the Cardinals are going to do with this fifth spot is going to be potentially, it's going to be interesting. Maybe they do make a trade. Maybe it comes back to Miller. Uh, but clearly Miller is not the same type of pitcher that he was last season. Uh, and is it, do you see any kind of any hope for fantasy salvation here as far as his value is concerned? I don't, I don't like what I saw. I mean, the Cardinals are handling him really weird. Uh, so no, I liked him coming into the season and it's been a disappointment to say the least. I, I thought the funny thing on Shelby Miller was when they had, uh, he was initiated into the bullpen with the old, uh, the fall of faith, whatever they call that, where everybody stands behind you. 
and you just close your eyes, you mm-hmm. let yourself fall back, and the bullpen caught him. They actually did that to him in the bullpen today. Um, wow. Yeah, but no, I, I don't know. Somebody asked me about him yesterday. I was like, I, I would just like to see him. I don't know if he has options that could be sent down to the minor leagues. I would. I don't want him in the bullpen. I, I want him getting fixed. This he's got too much talent to be like he is. Yeah, yeah, and, and I. I was interested, especially just to make a quick comment about him because I got a chat, uh, got a question about him in his chat on Friday, and it, I think it's just everything I've seen and I've you know, read this also from the St. Louis media is that, uh, but I mean you could you you watch it and it I mean it shows up in his numbers as well with the walks with the pitch side peripherals. This is a guy who need he is not commanding a fastball that regularly sits ninety two to ninety five, and there's no command of it. It's the movement is good, but there's no command of it, and like he needs fastball. You, I mean. Anybody who throws a fastball 70% of the time needs to command it. I mean, it's just there's no logic here in his approach. Um, and But you know, even even if there's some dictation to him and, and there's some work, I mean, this is uh, this is going to take some time to iron out. It's kind of sad. And, you know, maybe it comes in a relatively short period of time. But, I mean, if even if I'm a 15-team mixed league, I'm not. I'm not too worried about letting them go. I mean, you hang on, you hang on and hope in an NL only league, I'm sure. And there's a lot of ability here, but uh, I'm not real optimistic rest of the season. Um, other than the fact that at least St. Louis is an organization that is really good at, at uh, helping pitchers figure things out more often than not, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, but it's just, it's an ugly situation. Uh, Seattle also is, I mean, it's a, no, no legitimate fantasy reason to talk about this other than the fact that Taiwan Walker. I mean, you got to think it's a possibility. He, he's going to remain a Triple A for at least a couple of starts, I believe, it was the original mandate. Rasmo Ramirez or Tom Wilhelmson, one of those two, will get a start for Seattle on Tuesday. Um, but regardless, I mean, it's it's and it's much likelier to be Ramirez. I think it would be pretty dumb of Seattle to tax the bullpen twice uh, on a, on the strength of a Wilhelmson start. But uh, Walker. Uh, is not an option for them for at least a couple of starts. They say, uh, you know, by the t- by the time it comes around that he's he is an option, it might be for another team. Um, it, uh, unless, I mean, how does Seattle not make a trade for another pitcher? I guess at this point uh, is is beyond me. Unless unless they're really they don't they seem unwilling to trust Walker for the rest of this. And this is a pitcher we talked about earlier in the season. I think this could end up being kind of a lost fantasy season for Walker as a guy I was pretty high on coming in. I think that would be. Pretty disappointing. I, I agree. Uh, just that's another case where the spring training got off to a poor start for him, and uh, it just hasn't worked out. I was risky about Taiwan Walker this year going into it, and it's it, it's played out as I even worse than I thought it would. I didn't think it would be this long for him, but I, I kept thinking this was Edwin Jackson 2.0, and I I did not do a, a decent job of hiding my disdain for Edwin Jackson. We talked about him earlier. <laughs> And uh, I just, that's why I just see this. I have always looked at him as another Edwin Jackson. Yeah, that's what that's what ultimately concerns me is because he has had some real trouble. At least, at least Seattle is not rushing him, and that's. Um, <laughs> but the 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 con- particularly the control. I mean, sometimes fastball command I've read is a problem for him, but it seems to be control just in general is a really an issue. Um, as far as Minnesota goes, Samuel Deduno sticks in the bullpen. Johan Pino, again, this is a situation for Minnesota. Is he going to get a start on Tuesday? We only talk about it because we want to know when is Alex Meyer coming up. Um, soon would be nice. <laughs> uh, Eddie Butler to get some extra time in the minors. It, it, originally, Colorado's plan was to bring Butler back right away and have him start on Tuesday, but he was bombed in his la- in his rehab start. And so they just want to give him some time to work it out. I think 
again, this is Butler is a guy with great ability, is not a guy to write off uh, by any means, uh, even for a Colorado pitcher. Uh, so I, I would I would not let this deter me too much in my even in my deep mixed league interest for him once he once they do make him part of things, uh, but and of course Chris Crapuano uh, is probably the guy <laughs> on, probably the guy on Tuesday sounds like and I mean that that interests absolutely no one except to those people who play in the leagues where they try to finish in last place. Um, <clears throat> Jacob Turner back in in the rotation for Miami he struggled in the bullpen after he struggled uh, in the rotation and now he's back in the rotation. Um, and meanwhile, Andrew Heaney is going to remain at AAA, probably not for long is my guess because Turner's back in the rotation. Uh, and they also promoted Anthony Descalfani, uh, stuck him in the bullpen for some reason. Um, this is a guy, I mean, I think is kind of his futures in the rotation likely. So I think the question here becomes, and I, well, uh, the question would have become which one's going to be Heaney or Descalfani, uh, once they go away from Turner again, or they, or an injury pops up. But I think based on this move, this says Heaney is going to get the rotation spot once they tire of Turner, whoever else opens up a spot, because you don't bring up one of your other pitching prospects to sit in the bullpen and then move him into the rotation, do you? Is, is that Does that make sense, or am I, am I off the mark there? I think you're making up half these names, to be quite honest with you. I'm like, <laughs> who the hell is he talking about? <laughs> But some of these events, the Miami Marlins for you. And yet I keep hear I, I keep hearing things that they think they're playoff contenders. No. And then there's that. <laughs> no. <laughs> bring up the bring up the talent. Bring up the kids. Let's do something. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I still I I like Heaney in deep mixly in 15 team mixly. I like him rest of the season. I think there's something to like there quite a bit. And yes, based on his first four the results of his first four starts, a lot of folks kind of got off him. But I think. Everything about the numbers to me, as far as the peripheral goes, I mean, I think that there probably needs to be some issue, like as far as his pitch sequences and things like that go, there might be some some adjustments that need to be made there. But early numbers, very small sample, but I think early numbers indicate some 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 decent rest of season intrigue there. So, uh, just uh, really quick, we'll get into some some lineup changes and we'll pick some. I think we'll pick some two star pitchers. Uh, but but uh, well, actually, really, the only lineup change I think is really worth talking about because we know Mookie Best was option. He just clearly wasn't ready. Shane Victorino, we talked about as a player who is not. Um, it's yeah, he's he's kind of fifteen team mixed league material, and that's it. Uh, though I I still had a little hold out a little hope that he shows something else, but. Uh, he's he's clearly at a point where physically he's just not able to contribute uh, much. I think on in, in, beyond 15 team mixed league levels. Uh, but Austin Jackson has moved to leadoff spot. Uh, has been there since the beginning of this month and is it should be has been delivering um, the kind of. I mean, we've we feel some questions about him off and on all season about hey what's what's up like a lot of these things in Austin Jackson's numbers say. He should be doing better. Am I waiting for a breakout? Is this like, do I see power breakout coming? Um, is he going to stop? You know, is he, what are the chances he stops running based on this and that? Like, uh, I mean, he's healthy. He's at a spot where he's probably, he's just clearly more comfortable. And um, yeah, a lot of this, I mean, I think this, at this point, the way he's hitting, I don't think that there should, uh, I don't think Brad Austin should see any reason to move him. Uh, and I don't think, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think this has had any kind of negative effect on any of the other hitters. So, I have his to think- skill. He's a stable skills guy. His strikeout yeah. rate's been the same for three years. His walk rate's been the same for three years. 
His on-base percentage has dropped. I mean, you look at 2012, it was a career-best 377. It's been 337 last season and 327 so far this season. He just doesn't hit for much power, even though he'll still run into one. It just it doesn't slug. He had 30 doubles last year. He's got 22 this year. So he's on pace to break that, but he only has three home runs this year. And I'm fine with this. I just wish he would get on base a little more, but that's where he belongs. He's not a run. He's not going to drive in runs. He has to produce them. Mm-hmm. He's not even running that much. I mean, he has 13 attempts this year, had 12 last year. So he's slightly ahead of last year's pace. That's simply from the, the from Leland to Osmus. You knew that was going to happen yeah. uh, with him. But I would just leave him up there. And because he's there, that just gives him the opportunity to score runs in that offense. Torrey Hunter continues to the 5-5 time and, and is hitting the ball well. Miguel's getting back in into flavor. Uh, you know, is he is, is Austin Jackson going to meet? It's going to be a career low for runs for him because the last four seasons, 103, 90, 103, 90, 90, he's only at 45 right now. He's not even going to hit 90 this year. Yeah. I mean, and except unless he goes on this kind of uh, hopeful tear that we've kind of been waiting for. But yeah, <laughs> seems it seems pretty unlikely. Um, one other player I want to bring up before we get into the, the quick rundown and, and pick our guys is Jordan Valdez, Danny Valdespin, uh, caught up in Miami, uh, expected to play second base regularly. Uh, how deep do you go or how shallow do you go for a guy like this? I mean, is he 50, uh, you know, I'm curious, like for instance, I'm, you know, I may take a look at him in 15 team mixed league. I'm not sure that I'm going to put in a bid for him, but, uh. I mean, we know he's Sophie's got some. wearing a cup these days. Yeah, <laughs> we know he's got some athleticism. He's got a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed. Um, is kind of a guy who plays in his own little world at times, so and entirely not dependable. But uh, there's you know maybe something to be said there. Uh, is a little bit of an interesting player. And the Myers down in, in AAA uh, New Orleans, which is not a hitter's ballpark at all. Was hitting 270 with a 374 BP and a 437 slug. This is PCL inflated a bit on the road, uh, but he was he had he had more walks and strikeouts, which is a positive sign for a guy who had almost four strikeouts for every walk in the minor leagues a few years ago. So, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, this is, should help. Yes, it should. But this is a guy who has not typically drawn a walk in the majors, at least nearly at that rate. And I think that that's like that makes me. I mean. It makes me wonder if it's not if it is just the league, or but also just I mean what what is it about uh, what is, is yeah, it the, just, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's weird to see a guy do that yeah. uh, and he's only twenty six it's not like you know, anybody should be scared of the guy but I mean it's, it's a positive sign maybe he's being more selective uh, he is he does still run but he's still a crappy base runner fifteen of twenty five on his stolen base attempts. Yeah, yeah, seems like he needs. Uh, he still has a lot to learn as far as picking his spots and things like that. So, I mean, maybe he's fifteen team mixed league material. Probably mostly an NL only commodity, and you kind of hope that that works out for you. But uh, uh, some quick rundowns just for for those of you just to let you know. Uh, for those who have not seen the news, guys on the way back. Evan Gaddis bulging disc said that correctly uh, back on Monday. Jordan Zimmerman strained biceps expected to make a start on Tuesday at Colorado. I'm. I think I'd be willing. This is a two-start week for him, uh, oh. and and that makes me nervous, though, to be honest, coming off that. I, I think, I mean, I, I might be willing to sit him down for this. The other one's at Cincinnati. I mean, that offense is not necessarily Colorado's going. so bad this year. They're like 18 of their last, I think their record is like 18 and 40 of their last 58 games. But the, they, were in first, they were in first place in that division at some point in May. Do you They've not, won 18 games since. Do you not fear the Rocks at Colorado anymore, though? I mean, I... Oh, I do. I, I do, but I'm t- <laughs> I, in a two-start week, I'm damn tempted to leave Zimmerman in there. Okay. Even after this, because they're just so terrible. 
Okay, okay. Until Lewitsky is banged up, maybe he stays out of the lineup for another day or two. Exactly. Uh, but they do play again tomorrow. I mean, I think I, I, it makes me nervous. I have to make that decision in one league. I'll be interested. I'm not quite sure how, which way I'm going to go yet. And thankfully, it's a, I have the option to make the daily changes in that league, and so I'm not really sure. Uh, Josh Beckett, small tear in his hip labrum. I hope this doesn't affect him the rest of the season. This has been this has been a nice little renaissance really for good Beckett. Season for him. Yes, yes, really good. And it's back. I mean, certainly we don't expect him to finish with an ERA around two, but uh, has uh, see. I think it's it seems pretty likely. He said he came out of his uh, bullpen session on Saturday feeling really good. I think they're probably going to clear him. I I wouldn't mind if if they skipped him to be honest, give him that a little extra time. But um, right. Uh, Hopefully this is not something that affects him for the rest of the season, but uh, uh, there's really no way of knowing. He got a cortisone injection, so hopefully it's just a matter of to- pain tolerance and uh, and he can continue the rest of the season. It, I, I think that's going to be a little unpredictable. Jonathan Neese, as we mentioned, he's back on Monday. He's at Seattle. Uh, it, another two-start week. I think, I mean, uh, t- I think it's a tough spot. I, I think I'd be willing to throw him in in general. It's, I mean, he's been fantastic. Uh, Dexter Fowler, strain intercostal. He's been supposed to be back here uh, on two different occasions in the past week, and now it doesn't even seem like he's likely to be back this week. I would not hold my breath on Dexter Fowler, who has been a slow healer at times in the past. So, uh, Everett Cabrera, strain hamstring. He's been sent to AAA El Paso. I think that, I mean, it sounds like because he's he's finally starting a rehab assignment, it sounds like he might be back sometime uh, this weekend. Jason Vargas, appendectomy. I think that this sounds like to me. I'd be a little concerned that, I mean, I've seen hitters especially come back from appendectomies a little too quickly. Um, the Royals suddenly seem optimistic. It's only been a little over a week since he's had this surgery, and an initial projection is three to four weeks that he would miss. I mean, I would I don't understand why teams would not be willing to err on the side of caution when it comes to something like this because, I mean, it's, it's not uh, <clears throat> it's not like he had just a local anesthesia or something uh, and – uh, but you know, surgery can knock you out and uh, knock it out of you. I think I just I, I think that uh, uh, it seems like it's a little too quick. I would not be, for instance, I would not be willing to throw him uh, when he first comes off the DL, especially if it, if he comes back say this weekend or next uh, early next week. I mean, I would I would be a little nervous about that. But they said that they don't think that he'll need a rehab uh, rehab assignment. I would be I would be a little nervous about that at least right away. Yeah, I'd be a little I'd be a little surprised too. In fact, if you were to ask me to pick one of of, of... Vargas or Zimmerman, I would actually go Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah. In that case, I definitely would. Yeah, and I mean, Vargas is definitely not an option just yet, uh, but it's that's kind of scary thing. Uh, other guys sound like they're on the way back. Or Jed Jerko, um, a similar situation to Cabrera. Josh Reddick, James Paxton finally making some progress. Uh, Carlos Ruiz may be activated uh, some by this weekend. I've been uh, saying that for three weeks. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I mean, and they, I don't blame them. That, uh, Ruiz has had multiple concussions and they have been pretty cautious so far. I mean, everything, everything put out to the media has been that he's been fine for a little while now, but, uh, it does make you wonder how truthful they're being, <laughs> they're being when, uh, his return continues to be pushed back. They want to continue to see him, uh, uh, continue to see him play out on his rehab assignment. So it's been, uh, Tough break for fantasy owners with Brandon Belt suffering a concussion, not, concussion oh, not long after he breaks the thumb. This is rough. Uh, hopefully, this is not um, a serious concussion. I don't know that he's. I don't know how many he's had, if any, before this. But this is disturbing, uh, to say the least. Starling Marte uh, with the head trauma. They say this is not a concussion uh, with a, with a hit by a pitch, but Pittsburgh playing Pittsburgh is playing this uh, safely. 
I think that's, I mean, that's, that's certainly not a bad thing. Um, and Matt Cain's elbow is barking per Bruce Boshi. Um, how concerned are you? Never, I mean, ever, ever, never, 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 never like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, never a good sign. Um, more so because he's had control issues this year. It does make me a little concerned. This is, this has not been the best of seasons for Kane, but it hasn't been the worst. But uh, I mean, so far the only the only measure that San Fran has taken is that uh, he is going to be last in the starting five to make his start coming out of the break. Uh, we will see how that goes. I would be slightly concerned, um, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, thing is, he's actually, you know, when you look at how he's pitched, he was on, you know, since we look at, because he, he missed some time there. So if you look at, if we go into June, if we go back to June 1st, he's actually pitched rather decently. He's at, I mean, I know that ERA is high at 474. Whip is high for him at 128, but he's only allowed six home runs. It's really been the, the the walks of what is what's done him in. They've been uncharacteristically high for him. He's at an 8.4% walk rate. You know that's really what it's come down to. And when you hear the elbow issue, the the old adage goes: velocity, shoulder, control, elbow. Mm-hmm. And that would kind of explain why he's had problems. You know, avoiding walks with guys because he only allowed 12 extra base hits. It's it's simply this is over seven starts, 12 extra base hits. So it's it's fewer than two extra base hits per start. It's just the, it's the free passes he's putting on base. He's allowing two walks and two extra base hits per game. I guess they're happening in the same inning because that's the only way a guy is going to get a four seven four ERA like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that yeah, a little bit of this could just be the timing, a little bit of bad luck. It just be, it it makes me a little concerned that uh, something's bar. I, I hope that Matt Cain's elbow isn't barking, and that means eventually they got to put the dog down. That's my fear. <laughs> that is totally my fear for the rest of the season. As a Kane owner, especially in a 15-team mixed league, kind of as a guy I was, I was hoping and was thinking was ready to bounce back from a disappointing 2013 mm-hmm. season. Uh, but uh, now we get into, I mean, speaking of our pitchers, uh, it's time for a little bit, of, a quick shot at our two-star guys. Who, uh, American or National League, just you know, throw it out there. Who do you maybe uh, kind of sneakily like and who do you kind of uh, dislike that might surprise somebody who do i like on the american league side uh two start weeks i mean scott casimir against houston and texas is a dreamy matchup that's always fun um chris sale against the royals and twins that's a nice that's a very nice matchup for him um no don't like that one i would avoid jaco de rizzi against the cardinals and the red sox that's something i don't i'm not very high on there um those are type those are really the guys that stand out to me on the american league side i really don't see anybody else i mean danny said you mentioned salazar he's got the twins he's got the royals if he can't beat those teams he's not to be used again yeah well and it's and we say that with a question mark because uh this is you know, does he stay up after that start on Tuesday? I think there's I think there's going to be a lot of questions. It's a, it's kind of an uncertain. I mean, this is if, if you know if I'm in a weekly lineup league, I don't throw Danny Salazar unless I'm you know I mean, an eight only league and it doesn't really. I mean, not really much of a reason to throw him. But uh, yeah, it's interesting you point out the Odorizzi. I mean, he's kind of a pitch well, a bit better at times lately. I, uh, and I don't know him that well, but uh, even on a personal level. But uh, at, at St. Louis and uh, you know, a team that's kind of struggled offensively at times. And Mike Matheny seems to have trouble filling out the lineup card. I don't know. But uh, I think at St. Louis, but then also at home. At at home against Boston, though. I mean, I think I like that because it's two good parks. 
and he's pitched he's pitched better lately. I think I I I don't mind those matchups really. St. Louis has not it, been the best offensive team in the world this right, year. Right, they haven't been. No, it's really the pitch the pitch efficiency thing is what gets me with Oda Rizzi. It's I, it's unpredictable. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Uh, and against Boston, it tends to work the the work that counts, and they've been playing better baseball of late. Yeah. That one kind of scares me along those situations. But he's pitched against him before this year, and he's done well, but he's also been blasted against them. And then, yeah. you know, the, predictability, the NL side – go ahead, sorry. Predict, no, pre- predictability has value in fantasy. It yeah. does. Um, on the NL side of the ledger, Mike Miner with the Marlins and the Padres at home. Honestly, I, like I think that's the best. I think that's the best one there is. Uh, maybe unless you look at uh, Degrom at the Mariners and at Milwaukee, neither team is doing uh, well offensively. But that mm-hmm. Miami on the road in San Diego, anywhere, I, I like Mike Miner a lot there. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. And uh, I, I mean, I'm glad you pointed him out because. Um, and I've seen, you know, when you get the two-star, you know, you know a, lot of, a lot of sites put out their two-star rank. I mean, Mike Miner has, obviously he's not had a great season since he's come off the disabled list. But uh, folks, I think, are just kind of putting up those, it's like, well, past results dictate where I'm going to rank him in the future. And this is, he, he's not ranked highly. People are not optimistic about, I think this is a great week to use him. Um because we know Miami typically is not as strong offensively on the road, and San Diego sucks. I mean, I think that's. I mean, if you're looking to to uh, kind of maybe get Mike Miner's second half started off on the right foot, this is probably a good time to do it. So uh, yeah. I, I think that. Uh, and last one before we go, what, your pin, start Cliffley, start Cliffley immediately off the disabled list. Two start week against San Fran and against Arizona, both at home. You like it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think and Arizona's played a little better lately, and San Fran they were they were they went kind of into a lull, but they're back at it. But uh, and and Lee also didn't do well. And uh, there's you know it's kind of the three the San Fran and Arizona both they're kind of they're they're not they're at least a little above average offenses or they can be. So I'm not like these are not necessarily the best matchups. Lee was not great in his last rehab start. In fact, it was pretty bad. And all those things I would still throw Lee, and it's because to me like Lee is the type of pitcher who I don't think he gives a damn about his rehab results. It's like, I want to get in all the pitches. It's almost like a spring training thing for him. He's all about command and control. And as long as that's good for him, he doesn't care what happens. And uh, I don't think, I don't think the health is a concern anymore. So I'd be willing to throw him. I wouldn't have any qualms uh, in no matter the league. Agreed. And so uh, this has been the sleeper in the bus. It's been fantastic. Jason, thank you as always for joining us on Sundays, uh, despite the fact, despite the fact that you are headed to this 15 day DL. I, I am headed there. Uh, next week should be good to go for me. I'll actually be in town. Shouldn't have any conflicts and hopefully I'll be uh, feeling a little better. Cause right now I need to go lay and put some ice on my side. <laughs> I hate being old. This sucks. I'm sorry. I actually should have said, I should have said the seven day DL retroactive to Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I you do will, feel you like will a be with us. Over me, so I could say you concussion. Will be, you will be with us for the next episode, Sunday episode of the Sleeper in the Bust. Just uh, you will also you you will be recovering meantime, physically from getting battered by by basketball players fifteen to twenty years your junior. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this has uh, been episode number one forty four. Again, thank you for joining us. I'm Nicholas Minix. Thank you for joining us for the Sleeper and the Bust. Thank you.